Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, I'm Soleho, and you're listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a star ingredient that's popped up at restaurants all over the Bay Area. Koji. Ooh. You'll find this microbe in the miso, soy sauces, and salts made by local artisans who have taken up traditional fermentation methods with deep roots in Japan, Korea, and China. Without koji and its close relatives, we wouldn't have sake or jajangmyeon, and that's not a world I want to live in. Lots of Bay Area restaurants have experimented with koji, including Bar Tartine, RIP, where the chefs used it to make meat super tender and even folded it into ice cream. At a barbecue a few months ago, one of the guests told me she'd used koji to ferment leftover birthday cake. I desperately want to know how that turned out. So if you're listening, I think your name is Katie. Please write in extra spicy at sfchronicle.com. Well, really, like, honestly, if any of you have fermented anything awesome like that, please send pictures. Thank you. So two of the biggest names in Koji here are Aiden Fermented Foods and Shared Cultures. The latter company was founded by Elena Su and Kevin Gondo in San Francisco, and they seem to ferment anything they can get their hands on. Wild foraged leeks, morel mushrooms, and cashews, in addition to traditional soybeans. What brought them to fermentation was their love of foraging. We were out for a hike one day and came across this beautiful golden chanterelle. And it was one of those moments that I was just instantly hooked. I was just so captivated by the fact that we were in this giant forest and we were appreciating something so tiny and, and ephemeral. And it, and it had a, a huge impact. So in this episode, we discuss Sue and Gondo's adventures in the wide world of mold. It's very exciting and very funky. Elena and Kevin, thank you so much for joining me on Extra Spicy. It's such a pleasure to have you. We're so excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm really excited to have you two here today as the founders of Shared Cultures, which is a fermentation company that I've been seeing everywhere in the Bay Area. At restaurants, like I've seen your misos and your you know, soy sauces and all your sort of koji experiments. How does it feel to be cool? <laughs> um, I, I don't know if we'd consider ourselves cool, but we're, we're we consider ourselves very, very fortunate. Um, <laughs> the the food community here. That's a very here, cool thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're we're so lucky to be able to share what we do, and and it's uh, the embrace that we've received from the community in, in San Francisco and 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 abroad. I mean, it's been it's been amazing. So so we're definitely very very lucky for that. When we first started. It was kind of just this idea, and it was really weird, you know? Like, when I would tell my friends and even my coworkers at my office, like, oh, like, you know, when people were like, oh, what are you doing on the weekend? Or what do you do after work? And I'd be like, I'm growing mold at home. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to taste some? Can I, can I bring you some to try? And it was this idea that, you know, 
it was so weird and so out there and I we weren't sure how people would, re- would receive it. So it's been amazing to have the outpour of support and enthusiasm for what we're doing right now. That's I mean, I can't even imagine if you were my coworker, I would be so down to try all your molds. <laughs> Those people just didn't know. They just didn't know what they had in front of them. My God. Can you tell me then why fermentation? Why molds? Like what attracted you to this thing that is so, I don't know, not very sexy in the food world, but somehow is now sexy? Yeah, it was a journey to get to fermentation. It actually started with foraging. I was actually really depressed at my desk job and I was living at Palo Alto at that time, and I remember, you, you know, just knowing that being depressed, being outside in nature, really helped with that. And so I would go for runs in morning and night, you know, before work, after work. And on one of those occasions, you know, there was a bright patch of yellow kind of hidden under the duff, and I went over there to check it out. And there were wild mushrooms. Didn't know what they were, but brought them back home and went to the Palo Alto Library and I researched them. And from there, I kind of found out that they were chanterelles. And through that experience, I just started foraging a lot more, just trying to find more things in the forest. And every time I did, a, a, you know, serotonin kind of hit my brain there. <laughs> and kind of from there, I started reading about fermentation as a way of preserving foods. And I read about koji and and I was really kind of interested in the fact that it was also a fungi. It was a mold fungi and I had never heard of that before, you know, and, and it kind of just was this like 360 moment where everything kind of connected. And Kevin, how did you get interested in foraging and fermentation? <laughs> it was so foreign to me, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I was never into foraging or, or fermentation until I met Elena. And and I think anyone that spends enough time with her eventually gets into both of those. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess first experience with, with mushroom foraging was, was pr- pretty similar to Elena's. I mean, we were out for a hike one day and came across this beautiful golden chanterelle and, and coincidentally was the same type of mushroom that sparked Elena's interest. And so she she had already learned about it. And so she was able to really teach me how to properly identify it. And it was one of those moments that that I was just instantly hooked. I was just so captivated by the fact that we were in this giant forest and we were appreciating something so tiny and, and ephemeral and and it and it had a, a huge impact. You know, the the more time Elena and I spent mushroom foraging together, it, it became for me this like this outlet to to slow down and this this escape from basically the the stress of daily life and and it became this thing that Elena and I could do to to spend time with each other and be outside. You know, mushroom foraging is is an activity where where you are being intentional and and present and and really noticing the small things that are in front of you. And from mushroom foraging, you know that that just kind of became a big turning point in my life. And fermentation, as Elena said, you just have to you have to figure out what to do with all those mu- mushrooms when you come home uh, if you've had a <laughs> successful day. Um, so it becomes a, a so fermentation becomes a beautiful activity to be able to to preserve your bounty. Do you two remember the first sort of experiment that you did with your mushroom like haul? What were your first fermentation experiments like? I think the first 
ones were really, it, they weren't mushroom misos, although we did do some, but the very first ones were, ha were had to be like shiokoji with the mushrooms in it. And shiokoji is traditionally known in, in Japan um, as like this really enzymatic, it's lacto-fermented koji essentially. And it's, it's commonly used in Japanese cuisine. And all, essentially all it is is just equal parts of rice koji that we grow and, um, and water and about 10% sea salt. You know, we would dry our mushrooms and then we started incorporating those into, into the ferment. But instead of water, we would use um, like the mushroom water. So we would rehydrate the mushrooms and save that delicious um, umami water. Um, rehydrated mushroom broth and then use that instead of the water um, for uh, for the experiment and then we would toss in mushrooms in there that type of ferment usually takes about 10 days so it was just one of those experiments where it's like oh you do it in 10 days you could you get to see whether or not it was successful wow and now you've expanded into so many other ingredients you've got squash misos and porcini koji salt do you get all your inspiration from seeing what's in season? Yeah, definitely. I, I try to actually work at the farmer's markets right now. And it's it's, it's my, as my second job on Saturdays at the Ferry Plaza, where I get to kind of walk around and see what's in season and what's in bounty and also kind of create relationships with farmers and ask, like, hey, what do you have a lot of? Um, what are you excited about? and be able to bring those that type of produce back into our commercial kitchen and do something with them. The way we think about our products, you know, we, we get a lot of our inspiration, obviously, from Northern California, but we tried to kind of create products that embody the perspective of Elena and I. You know, we're both, um, we're Asian American, you know, Elena's uh, Chinese American, I'm Japanese American. You know, we, we grew up eating not the most traditional um, food relative to, to our cultural <laughs> sure. background. And so, you know, imparting non-traditional ingredients like honey nut squash or cashews into miso, um, that's something that we're excited, excited about because it's almost like we're creating parts of ourselves and sharing that with our products. Mm. Yeah. And just to kind of touch upon that, I mean, a lot of it too is, you know, you think about all of these traditional foods that have been in existence for for centuries and it's it's astonishing because when you break it down to the scientific level essentially koji is a fungi that produces enzymes they don't have mouths and so the way that they break down foods is they they secrete these enzymes and the the two main things that they love to break down are proteins and starches. So um, an example of that would be traditionally grown on soybeans. Soybeans are very high in protein, and that protein gets broken down into amino acids, which translate into umami in our mouths. Another traditional example is koji is typically grown on rice. Um, rice has a lot of starch and that translates into sugar through the fermentation process. So the way we kind of look at everything as a whole is when we are at the farmer's markets or when we're trying to think of things to create or, you know, recreate or be imaginative, we think of, you know, mushrooms have protein in them. Squash have starch in them. Corn has starch. So we're simply just trying to break down those elements and and translate that into 
into an ingredient that most people have not tried. And I think that's what's really exciting is because the flavor comb combinations are really just infinite. <laughs> if you really think about um, vegetables and, and fungi um, all having some sort of starch or, or some sort of protein in them. Whoa, yeah. I mean, it's it's very much on the level of like hack the planet for me. I'm just <laughs> yeah. like, you could just ferment everything. Like yeah. that, that is so brain breaking in a good way. Like you get to see the the sort of long-term potential of so many different ingredients. And do you ever, especially when you talk about third culture kind of products and, and like projects, do you ever run up against people who are traditionalists and who kind of bemoan the, the kind of out there combinations that you get into? Definitely not. I think that the people who are traditional um, or who practice more for, you know, traditional fermentation, um, you know, make more traditional ferments, we are still sharing the same foundation, which is mm. everything we make is based on traditional fermentation practices. So there's a mutual respect and love for the craft. And then beyond that, I think, you know, there is a mutual appreciation for, for, you know, what we all do is that we're just trying to create products that speak to us on a personal level. And, um, you know, we have, we certainly, I don't think we've met anybody that wasn't excited that haven't been like, wow, I, I don't want to try your honey nut <laughs> squash miso. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I ask that a lot of people who, you know, uh, second, third generation, et cetera, immigrants and who do their own kind of things with food. People like Brandon Jew, who is the chef owner at Mr. Jew's and, you know, other folks that just have struggled to to share kind of their lived experience through food and had to kind of educate the public about like what it means to depart from tradition. I'm happy to hear that you're there's no miso beef out there on these streets. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> You're listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. We'll be right back after the break. You can support this podcast and the newsroom that creates it by subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle at sfchronicle.com slash pod. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I'm Zulejo, and we're back with Shared Cultures. I would like to hear about what you two ate growing up. Like, How does this reflect that? You know, I grew up with my mom and my dad and then my grandma on my mother's side. And I actually ate a lot of traditional foods until probably high school. From three to like middle school, I actually went to a Chinese or Asian school, private school, Cornerstone Academy here in the city. And, you know, and, you know, whether it was at school or if it was at home, it was mostly Asian foods that I grew up eating. And I distinctly remember my grandma, you know, she would make a lot of foods with a traditional ferment called dobanjang, um, mm. which is kind of like a spicy fava bean miso. And, you know, she, and we, you know, of course, there's always soy sauce at home. And there was just a lot of kind of Asian influence in the foods I ate. But as I transitioned into high school, I went to Lowell here in the city. There were more, there was just so much more diversity. And kind of from there, I started eating 
different things. But even then, I remember in middle school when the Trader Joe's opened up around here, my mom started buying all these cashews and all these snacks that, you know, we we typically never really ate until (laughs) we discovered them. I love, I love, I, I should just put out an aside. I love your use of the word discover when it comes to Trader Joe's snacks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and me personally, I'm third generation Japanese American. I guess the generations are, are counted differently from, from an Eastern perspective. So I'm, I'm technically, I'm a, I'm a Yonsei. Um, so my great grandparents uh, immigrated to the United States. And so, you know, I grew up in a household that was, you know, quite Americanized, as, as you can imagine. And, and so we ate Italian food, we ate American food, we had, you know, I remember having Japanese food, such as sukiyaki, but, you know, I, I had kind of a, a wide spectrum of, of exposure to, I think, the common American experience in terms of dining. And so for me, you know, really learning about our cultural background of fermentation and ferments that have been enjoyed in our heritage for, for so long, I mean, learning about that has been the most enriching experience for me as we're on this journey to build shared cultures, because it's really forced me to to learn about, you know, my heritage and get exposure to things that I, I didn't really have growing up. Yeah, I mean, even though we, you know, like in your tradition, you had all these, you know, these traditional foods. And for me, I grew up eating traditional foods. We didn't really know how any of this stuff was made. You know, I never questioned how soy sauce was made. I just like all right well just pour it out of the the bottle you know and and you know same thing with these funky bean paste that my parents had in their fridge like I never questioned how they were made I just ate them and it's funny because now that we make all these things it's like wow there's so much tradition and so many processes that go into making it that you really appreciate. Like, I really appreciate soy sauce now. You, you know, when, when we go to, like, the deli sometimes or we go and get, you know, food and they give you that little soy sauce packet, you know, most of the time the soy sauce packet is not traditionally made, but at the same sense, I still really appreciate that soy sauce, like, hmm. the history behind it. And, <laughs> you know, it's, like, so silly, but I think about that and, like, wow, like, the story behind the soy sauce is is really powerful. Mm, the sort of like banality of the soy sauce yeah. packet kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Are you two at this point, do you feel like you've mastered these processes or are no. there still kind of, are you still learning um, oh, no, while you're we're, doing this? <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're like slowly hacking our way to up the learning curve. <laughs> um, yeah, we we feel, uh, I mean, we definitely are, are, are improving at each batch that we make of yeah. miso. Or, or show you. It's interesting. A lot of the fermentation te- uh, techniques are, are not really published in a way that are easily accessible, particularly if you don't speak Japanese or, or Mandarin, Cantonese rather. And um, and so really trying to, to uncover the or, or translate, you know, information has been difficult. But a large part of where we've gotten today has been because of the community that, that is already established in Koji and, and fermentation. There are people like Jeremy Umansky, he runs the larder, uh, being in Ohio. They came out with him and Richie came out with a book, Koji Alchemy, and they've kind of demystified a lot of of this information around Koji. And so that's been, you know, resources like that has has really established a foundation for us. Yeah, definitely. And you know, we are active on Instagram and being able to in the past, you know, DM David Silver, you know, who wrote the Noma Book of Fermentation, and just shoot off some quick questions. The community has just been amazing in in their outpour of support and the 
and the sharing of knowledge. Wow, I, I'm surprised there's no um, there's no gatekeeping. It seems like the worlds of like mushroom foraging and fermentation both are very welcoming to newbies. Definitely, I, I would say to an extent for the mushroom foraging, but for the fermentation, we haven't <laughs> had any issues or everyone's been really <laughs> kind, but you know, try to get someone to share your top secret porcini spot. It's oh, just sure. not happening. <laughs> it's just not happening. So, <laughs> I wanted to ask too then, speaking of which, what are your favorite places to forage in the Bay Area? Oh. If you're willing to share. Oh, yeah. There are actually, you know, what's funny is there are a number of places in the Bay Area that you are able to find mushrooms but not legally. So there are ordinances, like park ordinances, where you're not allowed to remove any foreign object out of the park. And that includes mushrooms. Okay, maybe I should rephrase then. What are your favorite places to look at? Oh, yes. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah, there are so many places. You know, East Bay in particular, kind of near Chabot is a wonderful place. A good way to really do it is, you know, if you go on the app iNaturalist, and that's what we do, is we go on the app iNaturalist, and you can look up, like, chanterelles or porcinis. Like, Half Moon Bay, for example, has a lot of great porcinis. That's something a lot of people don't realize, but there are a lot of pine trees there. So you can look up either the mushroom or the tree and kind of gauge your way through there. Up north, we really like to go to Mendocino, right by the coast. There's a lot of great pine trees and that's where often we find our porcinis. So it really just kind of depends on, you know, what you're looking for, what season it is. It's a lot of trial and error. (laughs) You must have a lot of, I mean, every mushroom fan that I've met has their sort of separate album of like just mushroom pictures on their phones. Do you take photos of all the mushrooms that you find? Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) It's, I don't know if we have a separate album. It's almost like all albums at this point. (laughs) It's the entire, it's it's gotten out of hand. Yeah. It's the entire phone albums, either fermentation or fungi and then like food. That's like the three things that are on both of our camera albums. So, Oh my God. I mean, it personally, I like to know about couples that have like a strong mutual passion. Uh, <laughs> that you know, passion not in the. I mean, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, <laughs> hobby. And I guess I have to wonder too. Just what is it like to work with your partner and to start a company with them? Has it made things better? <laughs> yeah, between you two. Yeah, we actually love it. <laughs> so, <laughs> we we really do. We get to spend all our time with each other which is amazing because, you know, time is so valuable and being able to spend time with the person you care about every day and learning about things that you're passionate about and being able to start projects together and then complete them together. It's really rewarding. In between that though, sometimes we do we do fight. I mean, not fight, but I would say it's more bickering. <laughs> and it usually <laughs> happens around like midnight when we're oh, just God. trying to go home from the kitchen <laughs> and we're both just dead tired. And, you know, it's like, it's not mean or mean spirited, but it's like, why can't you do the dishes faster? Or you're stacking the dishes wrong. Like, it's so silly, you know, but I think when you're at that short end of the rope at like, when you're burning the midnight oil, literally, it's just like, you're just, there's not much left and you haven't eaten. So things like that are really silly. And what's funny is we always come home and we always apologize and we say, oh, I'm so sorry I said that comment. And it really makes our relationship stronger, which I think is a beautiful thing. Yeah, we're we're really learning to to grow with each other in, in ways that I think that we didn't really anticipate. And I'm 
yeah, we're just so lucky to have been able to find mushroom foraging and fermentation and and have the opportunity to to do that every day and grow that into a business where we can impart facets of our cultural background into, you know, that's something we're grateful for every day. And, and, and really to, to be able to share that with anyone in the world that's interested, you know, that's that's truly a privilege. So every moment of it together, we're, we're, we're having fun doing it. It is very nice to hear from people who are not sick of seeing each other during this giant panini pandemic. Um, <laughs> that's so delightful. Your positivity is so infectious and it makes me very hopeful for, for humanity. So thank you. <laughs> that's really sweet (laughs) okay so if people want to find your stuff your work where should they go yeah if anyone is interested in our products check out our website www.shared-cultures.com i think we're most active on instagram Mm -hmm. um elena is is posting about our processes products everything on uh our at shared cultures Awesome. Elena, Kevin, thank you so much for talking with me today and, you know, geeking out about koji and fungi and all that good stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is fun. Today's episode was produced and edited by Taya Francesca Price with help from executive producer Sarah Feldberg. If you're enjoying Extra Spicy, please tell a friend about it and give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.